Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this is the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host for this evening, and, well, most evenings. I don't have much of a life. Tonight, we will be unpacking last night's UFC Fight Night 121. You know, that whole event... Not every fight went as expected in terms of who won and who lost, but, you know, just looking at it on paper, this fight has potential, this fight doesn't, this fight can't miss, this fight would have been good years ago, these two guys are over the hill, etc., etc., etc. It kind of played out that way. Uh, there There were a couple of good fights, there were a couple of really standout finishes, and there was a lot of there was a lot of dead time. The whole like first six fights were just ugh. But we'll get to those slightly more individually. We will also be previewing Fight Night 121, Verdum versus Tibora. You know, I, I gotta say this. I really do sincerely hope that everyone out there enjoyed UFC 217. Because we're paying the price for that card now in a couple of different ways. One, whatever fell bargain was struck by Dana White and company to have that... Because UFC 217 basically went off with every fight as it was originally scheduled. The only one we actually lost was a somewhat meaningless light heavyweight bout. All the other fights were basically as put on paper they got to the cage. I do, again, I don't know what deity, what <laughs> what unholy abomination they agreed, they you know agreed with to make that happen. But in the immediate aftermath of UFC 217, well, immediate's a bit of a strong word. But in the month following, certainly, we lost two upcoming main event. We lost two upcoming main event fights. 
and one really good one that are some of them in the process of being uh, moved around. Two of them have replacement opponents, but we lost some good fights. And our next two events, three, hang on, let me check out. Yeah, three. Because uh, Fight Night 122, which we'll talk about the main event in a little uh, in more detail in a little bit. Um, apart from Magomed Sharipov fighting, that's a real ugly card. And then there's the tough finale after that. Well, they haven't announced enough fights for me to form an opinion on that one. The point is, not only are we losing fights... Uh, but they stacked that card so heavily that the next subsequent ones were just naturally going to suffer, even before injuries and drug test failures and all the other stuff that goes along with the sport. So, hope you enjoyed it, guys, because we're going to be uh, eating some bullets until the end of the year, basically. So that's what's up uh, for, the, for this particular show. Again, we'll also talk about some of the major news items, some fights getting... New opponents, uh, some new fights being made, all that fun stuff. So if you have a question or a comment you want to get on the air, please feel free to call in at 323-657-0901. If you would rather send questions or comments via a different medium over the Internet, uh, you can tweet me. I am at WinfreeMMA. That's W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. Or you can leave comments on the Rattletch and Broadcasting Network Facebook page where this player is embedded. Uh, we go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For those of you who might occasionally want to get something on the air, but just why don't you ever tell me when you're live? That, that's when, so my apologies. All right. Here with me, as always, we have 411 Mania's resident Wildcat. Jeff Harris is here with us. Jeff, how are you this evening? Good evening, everyone. I just want everyone to know that today I am officially declaring the 2017 World Series champions, the best team in baseball, the Houston Astros. They are now officially America's baseball team. So I hope you're happy now, Dodger fans. Uh, that's uh, the L.A. Dodgers, L.A. for Los Astros. You're going to have to just get used to it because Houston Astros, number one. Thank you. All right. Um, before we get into the fights from last night, I want to. I've said this on a couple of different forums, but I want to say it again here. My coverage last night was not up to my usual standard, which is, for varying degrees of good, certainly acceptable. My computer had some pretty serious issues that led it to freeze up and restart at some. Intervals last night, I missed the entire, uh, I missed the majority of the second round of the uh, Austin Sal versus Lopez fight. I missed part of Arlovsky versus, oh, I, no, no, I didn't miss Arlovsky versus Albini because my computer hates me. Um, I missed parts of the main event, including the actual finish. Uh, to well, the best so of my Fox knowledge. Sports won. For the co-main event. Yeah. I freaked out because I thought that was me. Like, my computer had been behaving no, so Fox. erratically. It was, it was apparently Fox Sports 1 all over the world. Yeah, that was that was weird. Um, but 
I just wanted I, again. I I believe it was a driver issue that I that has since been fixed. I cleaned the inside of my computer, which I had done not too long ago, but apparently I missed the fan for my video card because it's in a weird spot. Uh, so I've done what I can to fix it. It's been behaving perfectly fine since then. But I just wanted to let everybody know kind of what had happened. If you were following along last night and, you know, serious blanks in coverage when I lost notes or lost my feed. This wasn't on Comcast. Frequently it is. This time it was my machine. I apologize for that. I think it's been sorted out going forward. We'll find out more next week. And, uh, we're doing this again, so it happens, Robert. You know, I've done the live coverage thing before, and um, it happens that sometimes you're privy to the quality or lack thereof of the the. And you don't have like other ways to get adequate Wi-Fi access to get everything up in a timely manner. So you just kind of deal with the hand you're dealt. I don't think you really need to apologize point is the cop got up we got the reports up and you know technical difficulties i think if 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 fox sports one can hack it and have to deal with that and viewers have to put up with that i think they can understand uh some hiccups due to just technical issues because it happens it's a fact of life and there's just nothing you can do to uh curb it a hundred percent yeah, again, some of this was on me, and I should have done a better job cleaning my machine. Some of it was on the people who made the last driver for my graphics card, so thanks, you guys. Um, it, again, it just happens. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew what was up, and I, again, to the extent that I was culpable, I apologize I, in that I didn't sense, notice, and I, I do apologize for those. Last night. I didn't even notice any issues last night with the coverage. That's odd, because... Again, like I have whole rounds where I just say, like straight up, <laughs> I lost my notes or I didn't see it. Um, but anyway, so thank you all for well, your patience I was, I was and understanding. More result, I was reading more the the results and then like scanning over every word. Well, again, just thanks everyone for your patience as some of that got sorted out. Should be back to normal next week. Uh, all right, our main event. Um, this was a pretty good fight. Uh, I Again, I wish I'd been able to watch it uninterrupted. Uh, but Dustin Poirier defeats Anthony Pettis. Uh, I take some issue with the way this has it been notated. It was a grease pit, man. It was a grease yeah. pit. It was um, a bloody violent fight. Major, uh, Before we actually get into this very briefly, major credit to Paul Felder, who was the uh, color commentator for this he's done a really good job on dana white's tuesday night contender series and he was on briefly for a card earlier this year he was on for the first or for a set of like three or four fights i forget exactly where on the card as part of a three-man booth and he did a really good job uh, he, he did a really good job last night so i'm very grateful that sorry, i just wanted to make sure that got noted uh, last night, he did a really, really solid job. So a lot of credit to Paul Felder for doing that, because that's a hard job. We, I just give... need, we just need him, get Mike Olber back in the booth, and get him in there oh. with uh, Felder, and we'll have a dream team. No. 
I never want to hear Mike Goldberg ever again for the rest of my life. Uh, ever. Prejudice. No, 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 no. Prejudice is, unba- is, is unfounded. Prejudice is not having okay. enough information and leaping to conclusions. I suffered through Goldberg for what? How many years? I have I more than you, enough actual experience mean, listening to him. Mean-spirited and unfair. I do not care for his commentary. If I saw him on the street, I would pray not to overhear him talking. Okay. And he is. I want it back. That's fair. Again, like in all seriousness, my biggest gripe with Goldberg is less that he wasn't all that good, but more that he wasn't all that good for so long and never got back. Like. Todd Grisham at the moment needs a lot of work. But I'm prepared to let that play for a little bit to see if he does actually get better. Like Goldberg, no. He was the same right. for as long as he was there. That's where I landed on that. Anyway. So again, I just wanted but to Felder credit Paul Felder. Was, yeah, Felder, Felder was, was really good. Um, okay, in the main event, Dustin Poirier defeats Anthony Pettis. They they officially announced it as a TKO, I believe, due to an injury. Now, here's the thing about that. In the moment, I understand why they did that. But a Pettis actually tapped, so it's not yeah, a TKO. It would be well, a sub, it would be a submission, even yeah. if it was injury related. You can tap due to injury. It happens. Like there's no there's no shame. Like but as a notation. The other thing that uh, got brought up by a lot, of, a lot of very heavy grapplers who pointed this out, that's not a freak submission. The way it happened was uh, just the very finishing sequence here. Um, Poirier had Pettis' back with a body triangle locked in, which is bad enough. Like, that sucks. You can tap someone with the appropriate positioning and leverage just with that. It's not common, Wait, but I have it happens. Yeah. Okay. So, even if you tap out due to strikes, isn't it still a TKO? It depends. Like some t- some I people, think... some commissions noted as a TKO. Some noted as a submission All due right. to strikes. Well, it's it's weird. There's well, not a lot of consistency. I mean, I don't know. To me, a submission means like you have to have like a submission hold. And that's the thing that kind of surprised me when people brought this up, people who do a lot more grappling than I do. Okay. Uh, the process of transitioning from the back to the mount while holding a tight body triangle is apparently a legitimate submission hold. Right. I had no idea that was a thing. I don't think like, he was transitioning to the back, though. He was more, he was on top. He was, it was more no, like he, he had, was going to a... Hang on. He had the yeah. back and moved to the mount. Right. And if you do that while holding the body triangle, that is, and I, because I thought about this after somebody brought it up, that no, this happens all the time in classes and whatnot by people who know what they're doing. Yeah. That puts a serious amount of torque onto your diaphragm, right. your upper abdominals, your floating ribs, and your spine. You can't 
a lot of times when people make that transition, they will release either a you know a body lock, the, the body triangle, or they'll let go of their hooks so they can float easier. Because of the way this happened, Poirier never let go of that body triangle, and I imagine he was squeezing rather hard with it. So as he rotated around to get to the full mount, he is just applying torque the whole way with that hold, and it you know, injured Pettis somehow, enough to force him to give up. I didn't know that was a legitimate thing, but again, people who know a lot more about grappling than I do have said that, yeah, that's a real thing. So, a lot of credit to Poirier. Um, as far as the actual fight, it was about what was expected. And I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, Poirier did a lot of pressuring, didn't want to let Pettis settle. Pettis had some good moments of counter-striking. They both landed on each other, but Poirier has a good takedown game, and Pettis is very, very accepting of being on his back and playing with his guard. It's been a weakness for a while. Pettis did fight well off of his back, though. He he does like it's yeah. when I say it's a weakness it's a strategic thing it's not he doesn't know what he's doing it's because he knows what he's doing he won't fight tooth and nail to regain his feet immediately after being taken but down he'll throw he up a triangle then he had those cuts and then he was bleeding a lot and the cuts weren't maybe that big or deep but he was. The, that blood was spreading all over both guys, and uh, it clearly had an effect, and it made it made it harder for Pettis to grapple and get and get something solid from off of his back. But he made some valiant attempts, um, and there was quite a bit of uh, jockeying for position uh, with the grappling positions where Pettis was. Yeah, able there was. There was a whole sequence his, in yeah. the second round that was a really sweet. Um, like it might have been the first too. Like there were some really sweet scrambles and reversals from both guys throughout. This, it, yeah. this was a really good fight. This was a really good fight. Uh, I uh, Poirier made it an ugly fight. He moved forward. He utilized the takedowns. Uh, that's a good game plan to use with Pettis. Um, and you know what? You can't question Pettis' toughness because the guy was a mess after round two. But uh, the dude was like the dude. The dude was howling like a banshee. The dude was uh, he was he was not he was not going to go gently out of this fight. Um, you had to really break him to take him out of this fight, and that's what Poirier did. Yeah, this was the best fight of the night, bar none. Uh, there was, a, again, just a lot of really good stuff. I'm going to have to find a rebroadcast so I can watch it essentially uninterrupted, but what I saw was a, a lot of great stuff from both guys. Uh, Poirier, I, his, uh, his stand-up defense, there were still some holes in there, but, I mean, I think he kept it, I think he kept it really tight, and I think he did a good job of just – being the aggressor, imposing his will, and taking the fight to Pettis. Because, again, when you take the fight to Pettis, that's when he seems to have trouble. Um, 
and it's been that way, I think, since he fought, since he lost his first career fight to Bart uh, Palaszewski uh, in the WEC. And I think Palaszewski was a very underrated fighter for his time. Generally, yeah, I agree with you about Bart. Um, the big knock I have on Poirier coming out of this fight, I mean, his striking defense is still a significant liability. Right. But it's not, but I, mean, I want to say I mean, this, it's look, not the I mean, worst. Look, here's, here's my big problem. Like last night, the, the FS1 analyst team was like, what's Poirier going to do when he fights Justin Gagey talking about like Poirier fighting more technical fighters? What Gagey does is not technical, Robert. Come on. No, actually, Gagey... No, no, no. This is the weirdest thing ever, but Gagey's fights are surprisingly technical. He's just... It's just not too hard to get a read on him. He's out there, he throws caution into the wind, and and he brawls, okay? I mean, he leaves himself wide open. And I feel like if Poirier were to get in, in there with him, he'd have a pretty good shot of winning. Uh, I'm I'm torn on that one. I like I would love to see that fight because both guys just bring violence. I would lean towards Gaethje just because. Yeah, well, the power. Well, yeah, a couple how, of very specific how good of a reasons. Grappler, how good of a grappler is Gaethje? Do we even really know? Gaethje? Yeah, he's an exceptional wrestler. Uh, he was a Division One All American. Like, yeah. that guy can wrestle. He chooses not to. Like, that—that that is a complete choice on his part. All right, so he's a, he's another wrestler who's fallen in love with his hands, and we see how that usually goes. Yeah. Again, like he's not perfect, but I seriously question how Poirier Poirier fighting while backing up is a big liability, and Gaethje's defense is. He always gets hit, but he gets hit a lot less less frequently than you would expect given other people okay. who employ okay. his same general style. But look, but, Poirier fought Alvarez, and he did fairly well in that fight. Until, until he should have won. Uh, yeah, until he got so, like then, uh, he he had Alvarez dead to rights until he. But I, I mean, made I mean, a couple the of boneheaded they're acting like Poirier doesn't belong in there with like the top five, which is ridiculous. Okay, I, Poirier might not be—he might not be the next champion, but I feel like he's proven himself now in two weight classes. He's a pretty exceptional talent. Yeah, I mean, there's serious holes that are not too hard to exploit if you know how to do so. But if you don't, he's also gonna push. He's also gonna hurt what you fighter, if you give him half an opportunity. What fighter doesn't have? What fighter doesn't have holes in their game, Robert? What fighter doesn't make mistakes? What fighter doesn't have flaws? No, none of them. I, I, I suppose I just mean that Poirier's are more obvious than a lot of other guys. Maybe, but I mean, look. I mean, look at what he's done. He's had he's had a tremendous fights. amount of success. I, I agree with you he's about had the death. Twenty-one fights now, and he's yeah. lost. I agree with you about the to... death downplaying his abilities and what he's done recently. Because, I mean, he's, you can only ask for so much, like, there's only so much reasonable criticism that you can levy at him, and there is reasonable criticism, but. Okay, in the le- here's who he's lost to in the last five years. Cub Swanson, Conor McGregor, and Michael Johnson. Those are the only three in the last five years. 
those are the only people who have beaten him. Since before that, in his UFC and WBC career, all right, he's lost to Korean Zombie and Danny Castillo. That was his first WEC fight. He lost to Danny Castillo. Uh, no, I would absolutely give him a top five opponent next. He's has more than earned win, that. Has a submission win over Max Holloway. So uh, to be fair, that good. was Holloway's UFC debut on short notice. Right, but I mean, look but, at yeah. look at Holloway now. All right, at the time, Poirier was still early in his in his uh, Zupa career. At that time, he was only a few fights in. And he was a, a much younger man. Like, he's, he's 28 now. Uh, but during the Holloway fight, he was, like, in his early 20s, he was even younger. So, I mean, he's fought at a high level uh, since his late teens, basically. And he's done very well for himself. I think he should fight the winner of J.G. versus Alvarez. A, he, could fight the lo- he could fight the loser of that fight. Um, he's arguably doing a rematch with Alvarez. Yeah, I would have been completely fine with them rebooking Poirier versus Alvarez after the ending to that fight. Well, Alvarez versus Gagey is a good fight. And, um, yeah. This is yeah still, it would be so is, nice if we had some sense of order to this division. but Look, this is the shark tank of MMA, man. It's the shark tank. Uh, I mean, like, I'd be satisfied. I'd be, I'd just be happy if we had, you know, again, a sense of order to the very top of this division, because right. that would. But this is a I mean, sharp... that has a legitimate trickle down effect to how everything I mean, else shakes out. Look, this is a Shark Tank, and these are great whites. So there you go. Yeah. Um, let me see. I'm looking at the rankings now, and of course, you know, we have the Conor McGregor factor. Nate Diaz is still ranked number six for some reason. Uh, God help me. Um, see, Michael Johnson is nine. Gagey is five. Alvarez I think Alvarez is, is what three. Uh, Habib is ranked number two. Well, Habib is fighting Barboza, so uh, yeah. But still, uh, I feel like Habib shouldn't even be ranked right now. I feel like Diaz shouldn't be ranked. So well, Diaz absolutely should shouldn't. I feel Poirier should be ranked number six right now, realistically. If you, and we'll know. Yeah. And we'll know more after they update, you know, the rankings after the fights. But we'll see. I'm fine with him fighting again. Like my my inner appetite for violence loves the thought of him and Gaethje because um, he could fight yeah. winner. Of, well, uh, I don't want I don't want to get too ahead of myself with the booking, but he's due for a big fight next. Either way, with this win. Yeah. Yeah, uh, unequivocally. Uh, as for Anthony Pettis, you it's know, I, back, I, I mean, look, I seriously been, I wonder mean, whether or not his game has just been figured out. I, I, I don't know if it's. I, I wouldn't say it's been figured out, Robert, but I feel like he has. I think he can peak after after losing the title. I think he's generally peaked as a fighter, as an athlete. He doesn't look as fast as he used to or really as creative. Um, he had a good run, but, um, you know, I think it's just that athletic stride, uh, really. And I'm not saying he can't get a second win, 
But again, this is a Shark Tank, man, and it's like kill or be killed in this division. Um, this is not the division you want to try and rediscover yourself in. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, I mean, his only, and I'm sure his only I, win I, at lightweight is, in the last like yeah. three years is over Jim Miller. Right, Jim Miller. Um. Right, because he had that he had that featherweight uh, debacle. He beat Charles Oliveira. He beat Fat Charles Oliveira was, at featherweight. Yeah, that was his one win at featherweight, and then I mean, the Alvarez fight was a close fight, I guess. So, but that was even that that was almost two years ago now. Yeah, that was January 16. So, I mean, I think he. Could, he could still have fights and maybe have a decent run, but I, I just don't think – I don't see the title run happening for him again. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. All right, our co-main event, Wilbur. All right. <laughs> Setting aside the truck error, which uh, or the broadcast error, Matt Brown. I mean – man. He might have knocked like Diego Sanchez. He might have knocked the stupid. Like I say that all the time. He might have knocked Diego Sanchez sane. I mean. I mean. I mean. He caught Sanchez, a kick. He caught the kick, and Sanchez looked like he didn't know what the hell to do. Like, he, yeah, it was a. It was beautiful. He caught this uh, kick that Sanchez threw. I think it was at his body. Pushed him all the way across the mat into the fence, palmed his forehead with his left hand, and threw this unbelievable, like he loaded up and threw this thing from the bleachers, right elbow strike, and, and Diego Sanchez dropped so like a amazing. marionette that it had the strings cut. It's It's so amazing to me that fighters don't utilize elbows more because they're they're a lethal technique, um, and they're legal. And fighter, but fighters seldom seem to use them, uh, especially offensively. Um, it's surprising to me. I don't know. Maybe they feel it's dirty or something. But man, some of it's can, drilling you, because you can, yeah. it's harder to drill elbow strikes, especially in sparring. Yeah. And. But, yeah, the guys who know how to use elbows, guys like Matt Brown or John Jones, they're they're horrible. They are an absolutely horrible thing. I mean, Diego went. They are. They're horrible, but they're legal. And guys seldom use them. They're also they're also harder to use than a punch. The distance management has to be better. I mean, look, use them on the ground. Yeah, they'll cut up your opponent, but that's legal. You're allowed to cut your opponent with elbows. Do I say, look, if you if you want to win, do it. Cut your opponent. Yeah. And then El- people yeah, tell again, me elbows, elbows are, are dirty. Cutting your opponent with elbows are dirty. Well, I mean, it's only maybe, dirty if it's illegal. Like that, that's the definition of something dirty. Is if dirty. you're doing it illegal, it's, a it's legal an illegal technique. technique. It's a legal they say technique. you can elbow. So, I mean, yeah, elbow. Ah, uh, but you know what? I hope that's it for Matt Brown. I kind of, and you know what? I under, I totally understand that he's not. He doesn't want to make the decision just yet, but we'll see. But um, 
I just think it's the right move for him right now. Because I don't think he's going to get that title run. And I don't think he's in a position where they'll just give him like a commemorative title shot like they did with Dan Henderson. Yeah, I if this is the end for Matt Brown, I don't think he could have written a better ending. I mean, he was able to basically stuff everything Diego tried to do and got a finish that will probably feature rather prominently when knockout of the year is discussed. I mean, look, this was this was textbook Matt Brown. This is what made him such a an exciting fighter to watch throughout his UFC career was was things like this. I mean, um Brown had a run where he got very close to being like uh, a contender. He just he just couldn't get past that upper echelon like through Robbie Lawler. But he he got he he got to a pretty high level. He went on an amazing run. Um, he just couldn't cross the finish line, you know. But he's had a pretty outstanding career with some amazing knockouts, some amazing fights. And um, it may not count for anything this song, but I, I think it counts for something. And I, I, I mean, and I think that fight last night, or the finish rather, kind of just, to me it caps off his whole career. And, it, and when fighters, like this is the type of finish fighters are looking for when they are at the end of their run. But he keeps eluding them. And I feel like if Matt Brown keeps fighting, it's not going to get better than this moment right here. When he, yeah. when he is looking for the right time, when he is looking for the right time to, or moment to go out on, it's not going to come better than this fight with Diego Sanchez. Because look, the competition welterweight is still a pretty stacked division. It's still a talent-infused division, Robert. And the, it is. and above. What I'm saying is, and I'm not not trying to insult Diego Sanchez here, he's beatable. and He's been beatable for a while. And it's going to be more competitive and less beatable above Diego Sanchez. And getting those kind of moments is going to be even harder um, for him. So, I mean, Brown could fight, and I imagine he could be competitive, and I imagine he could still get a few wins. But, I mean... It's not going to get better than this, though. I truly believe that. Uh, I agree. Um, Also, I really hope this is it for Diego Sanchez. Yeah. Just give him something so he can make money. You know, I mean, Diego's not a great fighter anymore, but, like, give him something so he can make money and take care of his family and be, I don't know, just something. Like, let him be a broadcaster or something like that. Uh, I don't know what he does next, but this is a guy who in his last, I think his last two fights, because he was coming off of getting knocked out cold by uh, Iaquinta. He's been knocked out. He's been knocked out cold twice this year. He got the win over Mar- uh, Marcin Held, got knocked out by Joe Lozon. He got stopped by that. Lozon. Had the uh, he got abused. So... Got absolutely abused by Ricardo Lama. Right. Right. And that but that was that was a that was that market by the way. Um Yeah. I hope that's it for him too, but you know, not my call. 
Not mine either, but I think at a minimum he should not be fighting in the UFC anymore. He's uh, all we're doing right, is taking least. years off of his life. Yep. All right. Speaking of taking years off of my life, Andre Arlovsky <laughs> defeats Junior oh Albini in unanimous decision. I picked Albini last week, and a phrase from you that fight sucked out loud, Robert. It did. It really it was did. Hot I, garbage. That's I the worst have, fight of the year can worst fight of the year candidate right there. Yeah. It's I mean look, Andre Arlovsky is not a high level heavyweight anymore. Consequently, his fights, like all low level heavyweight fights, go one of two ways. It ends quickly and we all pretend it didn't suck, because it at least ended quickly. Or it goes long, and we all know it really sucked. I was unbelievably disappointed in Albini's performance. Uh, yeah, the Schaub fight was like that in, in the Albini fight. The Frank Mir fight, too. Yeah. All, the, all kind of I ap- similarly to this. I can appreciate Arlovsky deciding to fight more technically, and his footwork was a lot better in this fight. I do want to give him credit for that. But, man, this fight was just the worst. Uh, this was just awful. Well, he did snap a five-fight losing streak, so credit Arlovsky? I, yeah. I, I, I almost, <laughs> I'd rather he lost just because now he's going to get two more fights at least in the UFC where he can be knocked unconscious. Yeah. It's really I, just symbolic of how bad that how bad the heavyweight division is right now. The best sarcastic tweet I saw about this fight after it was over, and I forget who wrote it, so my apologies if you're listening. I, I just yeah. don't remember. Said this, It's so easy to see why the heavyweight division has captured the imagination of MMA fans for all these years. Um, but what do you think yep. is worse right now? UFC heavyweight or UFC light heavyweight? Light heavyweight. Okay. Like, at least we have a legi- a pretty legit, talented champion at heavyweight. We'll give we've heavyweight got that. Champions in both categories, but yeah, but come on. The big difference for me is that heavyweight at least has a couple of guys coming up. You know, <laughs> like, right, right. You've got someone like Francis Ngannou who's on a murder spree. He's good. He's good, but I mean, now he's he's really going to get tested now. He is. He's got a big one coming up, but you can kind of see the future still with heavyweight, with light heavyweight. And Lewis is good. Uh, Tybura is good. It's just Lewis, he needs to take his career and training seriously. I think Lewis could be really, I think Lewis could be really good, you know? There is some potential there. And Tabora's not bad. I mean, he's going to get I think he's going to get run over by Verdum, but we'll crazier see. things have happened. That would be, we'll see how he does against uh, Verdum, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, all right. Also terrible fights, because there were, look, there were some great fights in the main event. Card. The main event and the co-main event, well, the co-main event was a great finish. I mean, the fight was only three minutes long, so. Austin South didn't look like hot garbage for once. No, but Cesar Fajaya defeating Nate Marquardt via split decision. Um, this one sucked. Yeah, this, this sucked. 
both guys. Ah, I think what happened here is in the first round, both guys at intermittent points had landed good shots on the other. And they both kind of came to the conclusion that, wow, this guy could probably put me to sleep. I better be mindful of that. And I I don't have a problem with you being mindful of your opponent's power, but they both got too respectful and wound up just engaging in intermittent spurts, uh, just yeah, this just wasn't good. Like Nate Marquardt in 2017, it, it, it's just not. See, I, you see, you see. Look, I hate Nate Marquardt, but like, I don't know why he's still on the roster, and like, why we yeah. didn't, why we didn't keep guys like Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, and um, Lorenz Larkin. Um, just because those kind of guys, to me, they're infinitely more valuable than Nate Marquardt in 2017. You're not wrong. You get, because you get fights like this, you know? Um, like, Nate Marquardt, Nate Marquardt's good to, like, basically fill up someone's resume at this point and, get, and maybe get finished. Or he has fights like this that are just no, nothing to write home about. Yeah. I, again, I like Marquardt. There was a time in his career when he was a lot of fun to watch. And he was legitimately one of the best middleweights, and he was a very good welterweight. I think that time was just, again, seven years ago, something like that. How many times did he actually win at welterweight? Uh, I'd have to double check. He won at at welterweight once, Robert, okay? Once in the UFC. Now, he had another fight at welterweight uh, before no, that. He ne- no, he never he won him at welterweight. No, he didn't. He lost to Tyron Woodley. He won against Tyron Woodley. Huh. Lost, to ter- lost the title to Tarek Safadine. Yeah. Lost to Ellenberger. Lost to Lombard. Lost to James to- Oh, Okay. He beat James, he beat James to Huna going back up to middleweight. Okay. Yeah, no, back my, my apologies. I, I actually he thought he'd been at welterweight. welterweight more than once. His back okay, no, his- I... Right, I retract he won that. A title. He won the strike for his title at welterweight, so good on that. And he beat a tough opponent. But arguably, his biggest wins were really at uh, at middleweight, other than the Woodley fight. But uh, yeah, no, again, I I was misremembering. I, I I thought he had other fights at well, welterweight. Well, he had a but... title. He had a title. He did. You know, and so, but it was just that one fight. Yeah, okay. So, again, there was a time when he was probably one of the best middleweights in the world, certainly a top ten guy. It's just, that was years ago, and that kind of adds up. Um, as far as, uh, Fahea called out Paulo Costa after the fight. I mean, why not? Like, <laughs> I don't have a legitimate opposition to that fight, so... Costa, you know, you, you may not want to test Costa like right now. You may want to just keep giving him, you know, soft touches for right now. Fahea, Fahea might challenge him a little bit, but I, I think, you know, he's not a world beater, so you might not want to give it to that type They're of on running. roughly the same level. Right I have no issue with them fighting. Yeah, I agree. All right, next up, Rafael Asuncao knocks out Matthew Lopez. 
Uh, three a minute and fifty into the third round. It was, was uh, Austin Sal's first finish since 2013 of June, and his first ever in his first ever straight up knockout. No, he had a knockout one over Jora in 2012, so it was the second in the UFC. Yes, Isaiah Demura was on Fuel TV. That was a TKO. Yeah. Again, like, he legitimately legitimately, separated Lopez from consciousness. I mean, it's rare to see just a straight one-hit knockout in MMA anyway. Uh, The fight itself, I liked a lot of what Austin Sao did. He kind of made some adjustments between his last fight and this one. In terms of how you know, the looks he was giving his opponent, his everything he did seemed to have a lot more purpose behind it. Instead of he just did, kind of throwing yeah. stuff out there to see the reaction. And he landed some absolutely nasty inside leg kicks in the second and third round. He did um, okay, but he beat, he beat an opponent ranked, who's ranked, but he's ranked outside of the top ten. So you kind of... Ex- you kind of expect that. I expected him to win. I didn't expect him to look as good as he did doing it. Right. Uh, did he get a title, win off of, a title shot off of this win? No. But he should get a, big, he should get a bigger opponent next, for sure. It would be a tough sell off of this, especially since we lost uh, what I thought would be the next number one contenders bout with Cruz and Rivera. Why not put him in there with Rivera? I would be okay with that. Again, like, again, it I thought Cruz versus sense. Rivera. I, I, yeah, I had Cruz versus Rivera sense. as your number one contenders fight. Right. But if Austin Sow steps in and if he beats Jimmy Rivera, yeah, I'd have no problem. I'd have I mean, no problem with him getting a title than shot. Marais. It makes more sense than Marais because Marais is number nine. Um, Rivera's number three. He can't fight number two anymore. So he get, he still gets someone in the top five at least. Who's on a, who's on a winning streak and has won his last three. So for Rivera, I would say that's win win. Maybe not win win, but it's pretty close. Yeah, the, he's apparently the like prospect. Yeah, depending on if Austin Sow is willing to do that on short notice. No, John Lineker and, as you mentioned, Marlon Marais have both said, no, I really want to fight Jimmy Rivera. So, Some things are up in the air at Bantamweight I right mean, now. But, I mean, the only guy who... You can postpone that fight. You can postpone that fight. You don't have to do it right away. You could, if you want. I mean, you'd be... You'd lose that fight from 219, but 219's a... Well, what we know of is a pretty solid card anyway. Okay. I mean, look, Austin Sound's only loss at bantamweight is to TJ Dillashaw. I mean, he's Austin Sound was not always the most interesting guy to watch, but you can't he's really argue with the results. He's, he's undeniably a top bantamweight, and he's consistently been a top bantamweight for the last several years. And Honestly, I'd be okay with him getting a title shot. I would like I wouldn't mind the the trilogy with Dillashaw. I don't think it would be the best fight in the world, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. 
Look, I mean, based on merit, he's he's right around he's right around there. Yeah. And kicking off the main card, ugh. Clay Guida defeats Joe Lozon via TKO a minute and seven seconds hey, into the first round. Good for Clay Guida. He looked good back up to lightweight. He beat a tough veteran, and he's trying to get a new UFC deal. Good on him. Yeah, sure, he won. I mean, I don't know. I I, I just really, I couldn't, I, I don't care about Guida. And at this point, I, like, ah, how do I say this about Lozon? Joe Lozon is, he's had some really great finishes, and he's had some really great fights. Both of his fights with Jim Miller are personal favorites of mine. But there's a reason that the biggest thing he's accomplished is a significant number of post-fight bonuses. And I think he's probably just about done. If he's getting rocked as badly as he was by that punch from Guida, I think his, his you know the miles in the years are really starting to catch up with him quickly. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the training Guida's doing at Team Alpha Male has really makes a difference. And you're not giving, yeah, you're not giving Guida enough credit. Guida's hands have come up a lot. He his punching used to be just like the dirt worst. It was awful. He's made some improvements. I'm certainly not going to pretend he's regressed as a fighter. But I also think that this was borderline nostalgia booking. I don't know how Guida will do if he's in there with a... Uh, I don't even think... I can't even think of examples right now. My brain's a little fried, but... You know, someone who isn't, you know, 15 fights and eight years into the UFC. Guida's had some pretty rough performances, but as far as performances goes, this was one of his better ones in recent memory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. As for the prelims, because there just had to be one of these, uh, Marlon Marais defeats John Dodson via split decision. That fight sucked, too. I really liked this fight, actually. <laughs> I mean, I didn't... I don't disagree with the decision, but I didn't love the fight either. I had a lot of fun watching these two okay. and the adjust and the adjustments that they were making to each other. Here's the here's why I say there had to be one of these. Because the scores were as follows. Thirty twenty seven for Dodson, thirty twenty seven for Marice, and thirty twenty seven for Marice. I have no Hey, let me rephrase. Under the scoring system that is used, be that under the old unified rules or the updated unified rules, that first round should have gone to John Dodson. Straight up. 10-9. And I have no earthly idea how the, the second round could have gone to John Dodson. 
the third round was a lot more tentative. It was, but it was also a lot of back and forth stuff. I thought Marice. I was twenty nine, twenty eight. Marice. The scoring in this fight was really odd. If you, it, you have to be a real fan of technical decision making to like this fight. That really has to be something you want to watch. If that's your bag, I think there's a lot of interesting things that you can pick up on in this fight. A lot of the angles that both guys used, a lot of the adjustments in terms of weapons they're using and timing to each other. There's a lot of interesting stuff that happened in that fight. But those are things you have to be interested in. Otherwise, it probably isn't for you. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it, so uh, good on Marais. Uh, again, just pretty good. And he proceeded to very, very emotionally call out Jimmy Rivera. Apparently, there's a lot of history there. I'd be okay with that fight. I just hope Jimmy Rivera is able to stay on UFC 219. And I hope he gets a deserved. I just don't like that because. Look, I mean, I mean, if you're gonna make, if you're gonna put Rivera in a fight, put him in there with another top five guy because. Then it's like, okay, the winner could easily be put in a title situation. And like to me it's a situation where you where it's okay if you eliminate a contender. Because look, Austin Sal has never been uh, a hot face for the division. But now he's got an incredible win. He's got some momentum. He's got a win streak. Um Marais has not looked that great since he came into the UFC, let's be honest. Okay, and no, he fought um, a couple of very rough matchups back to back. It's and, it's really and hard Austin to look Sal good against the guy those to two guys. Marais, Robert, why why should Rivera fight Marais over the guy who beat Marais? Does Austin Sal want you the have, Rivera fight? I mean, he should if he's smart. Sure. He should he should, but because does he? Because if he's Rivera not entering his it, name into the discussion, it's a moot point. He should he should be doing it because if he wants if if what he wants is a rematch with Dillashaw, then this is he's got to be able and to me he has to be able to beat a Jimmy Rivera. He can't he can't ride on the fact that he had a split decision win over Dillashaw for the rest of his UFC tenure. You know, I agree. I'm just saying that if he doesn't want it, we can't force it on him. Nor should we be able to, incidentally enough. I, I'll uh, all right. push it on him if I have to. If I have to, eh. I know. Uh, Tatiana Suarez <laughs> defeat. I've, I'm just not going to engage in that line of discussion. It's, uh, again, Tatiana Suarez it's okay. defeats Viviane Pereja via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 130-26. I was 30-25. I gave Suarez a 10-8 in the second and in the third. It was one-sided. Suarez has some really good grappling. Her passing game is really good, and she's got really solid mat returns based on available evidence. But boy, is her striking bad. Just bad. Uh, She's very young in the sport. This was only her fifth I think official professional fight, possibly sixth, depending on how you count fighting to get into the tough house. I don't count it, but that's just me. So there, again, there's there's a reason there's a lot of room for her to grow. 
And I hope she does grow because the division can use, you know, people that are going to stick around for a while. Uh, again, her her takedowns are good, but I was expecting more out of her offensive takedown game, to be perfectly honest. And Pereja was just kind of there to be ragdolled. Um, Sage Northcutt defeated Mitchell Quinones via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Eh. I mean, this wasn't the Sage worst fight. Sage looked good. He looked sharper. He looked better than he did in his previous couple of fights. Yeah, there's. he's clearly taking what he's doing more seriously now, and that's to his credit. I'm still curious as to how he'll deal with someone who actually, you know, belongs in the UFC, but that's a question that a lot of guys at the UFC is investing time in or have to answer in the you know, sooner or later in their careers. So, um, Nina Ansaroff defeated Angela Hill, the unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. This was a pretty good, these two came to fight. Ansaroff made some really smart adjustments between rounds one and two. And spent rounds two and three just getting the better of Hill. Um, but if you're a fan of high output striking fights, this this was one that you might want to look up. I'm on Fight Pass. <laughs> uh, uh, Sean Strickland defeats Court McGee in unanimous decision, 30-27 and 29-28 twice. This was originally announced as a majority draw because someone couldn't do math, and it was announced as 30-27 for Strickland, and then 29-29 twice. Um, nothing of terrible interest here. Uh, Jake Collier defeated Marcel Fortuna via unanimous decision, 30-27 and 29-28 twice. Again, nothing of note. And at middleweight, Carl Roberson defeats Darren Stewart via rear naked choke in the first round. Uh, not a whole lot here. Roberson has some really interesting use of elbow strikes, and he had a very promising kickboxing career that he abandoned in favor of MMA. So there's some skill there. Um, The choke he used to finish was not a really good rear naked choke in terms of his arm position, but he made a couple of small adjustments to his forearm, which started out just across the windpipe. Not going to submit anyone who really knows what they're doing like that. But he was able to kind of angle his forearm a bit to kind of start more of the squeeze onto the side right before Stewart tapped. But still, he's a little rough around the edges, but there's a little bit of potential there. So, And Darren Stewart should probably not be in the UFC. Just calling it like I see it there. Uh, All right, Jeff, were there any burning desires you had from that group of prelims? Because uh, that was a rough bunch of fights to sit through. Uh, good win for Nina Ansaroff. Good win for uh, Sage Northcutt. That's about it. All right. Again, that was Fight Night 120. Thank you to everyone who followed along or read after the fact and had to put up with my computer being weird. So thank you all very much for that. This coming Saturday, we have Fight Night 121. Ugh. You know what? I am only going to talk about the... This is a rough card, guys. Um, Your main event 
is a relevant heavyweight fight. I don't want to be overly pessimistic. I'd rather my pessimism be warranted. Um, Fabricio Verdum versus Marcin Tabora. I am struggling to give Tabora too much of a chance here. His only loss in the U.S. He's three and one. He's on a winning streak, but he lost to Timothy Johnson. Yeah, that's his only loss. And he's finished two of his opponents. He not head kicked Victor Pesta into unconsciousness, and he finished Luis Enrique. Uh, I I certainly don't think Tabor is a bad heavyweight. He's got a very solid overall record. Unless Verdum is just like just really slow and unprepared here, I don't see it happening. Yeah, that's kind of where I've landed too. I, I again, it's not that Tabora's bad, but and this is heavyweight, so there's a smaller room, a smaller margin of error. But, but I, Fabricio I mean, Verdum is Verdum is top of the food chain. Harris. He had that fight with Walt Harris uh, last month at UFC 216, so it's a quick turnaround. But it was a short like fight with almost no offense from Walt Harris. So, I don't think he got hit that fight. And he was supposed yeah, I, to fight Tabora in that fight. No, that's supposed to be Derek Lewis, excuse me. Yeah, right. So, is that, do you see that as a warm-up, or, or could that have been a, a training peak for him? Has he already peaked? Like, how do, you stay, how do you stay warm and ready for a fight just a few weeks later? I don't think it'll Very be too much of a problem for Verdum. I mean, that that whole thing with Walt Harris could have been a sparring session. I mean, it was yeah. it was that lopsided and that fast. I mean, it is something to watch out for. Probably had tougher sparring sessions than that, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, unless Verdum is really sloppy, and he can be, or really unprepared, and he hasn't been that in a while. I think he's going to be able to, you know, hold his own on the feet, close distance, force this thing to the mat, and Tabora has almost nothing to offer against the jiu-jitsu skills of Fabricio Verdum. I mean, almost no one does. I agree. I agree. Now, the reason I looked at the rest of this card and went, oh boy, um, I'm just going to read the rest of the card and then... I'll let Jeff talk about anything that stands out to him. Our co-main event is Beck Rawlings versus Jesse Rose Clark. Um, This is Rose Clark's UFC debut. She lost both of her Invicta fights. Lost to Sarah Kaufman. This is kind of a gimme for Rawlings. This is a flyweight, so we're getting people who are going to populate that division. Um, Tim Means versus Bilal Muhammad is actually not bad. Uh, these are, I don't want to say mid-level guys because they're they're above that. These are outside the top 15 guys. But they both come to fight. Um, Means coming off of that win over Alex Garcia. Oh, he had the no con. Yeah, he had the Oliveira two fights before that. And you have Muhammad who... He's on a two-fight winning streak himself, um, and is three and two overall in the UFC. He's 
And that's that's not a bad fight. We have a welterweight fight between Jake Matthews and Boyan Velichkovich. Uh Matthews on a two-fight losing streak. And I want to make sure I'm remembering this guy correctly. Okay, this is Serbian Steel. All right, there's another guy who has a very... I think he might have the same last name. Or one very, very close to it that I constantly confuse these two. I think it's Boyan Velichkovich and Mihailovic that I confuse all the time. Mihailovic is a if memory serves, a suboptimal light heavyweight. And Velichkovich is a decent welterweight. Um, these are two guys who like fighting clean. And I don't mean that in the sense that they like fighting within the rules. I mean, these are two guys who struggle if you get them into a bloody, gritty fight. I lean towards Velichkovich. Under those circumstances, we have Elias Theodoru versus Dan Kelly. Uh, I mean, I can't. I don't think I can pick Dan Kelly here because Theodoru is actually pretty good. But I will always root for Dan Kelly. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky was supposed to fight somebody. He's supposed to fight, fight Jeremy Kennedy. Um, Kennedy's pulled out with a back injury. Was replaced. The replacement pulled out, um, and they've got a week to figure out, well, five days, to figure out somebody for Alexander Volkanovsky to fight. Where is this? this? Oh, this is in Australia. Okay, that makes, suddenly elements of the matchmaking here make more sense. Uh, I forgot this was from Australia. Um, I will favor Volkanovsky over pretty much anyone in the dark. Uh, I I'm relatively high on him. Then on Fox Sports, the whole thing's on Fox Sports 1. The prelims, we have Ryan Benoit versus Ashkin Mokhtarian. Uh, Mokhtarian lost his UFC debut to John Moraga. It's a rough debut. Um, And Benoit last lost to Brandon Moreno in December of last year. That's a non-trivial layoff. Um, Will Brooks and Nick Lentz are scheduled to fight again. I have no faith in that actually happening. Uh, I still favor Brooks. Anthony Hamilton. Why in the world is this guy on the roster? I mean, he is one and four in his last five. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and he's been finished in all of them. Okay, he got finished by Francis Ngannou at the moment, so does everybody, but... I don't think he has the chin for this. He's getting as close to a gimme as he's going to get against, I believe, a debuting Adam Vichorik. I'm sticking with Vichorik until I hear it pronounced. Uh, Damian Brown is fighting Frank Camacho. Probably Brown. Um, on Fight Pass, then, we have Alex Chambers versus Nadia Kassim. Uh, excuse me, Kassim? Kassim? Probably Kossum. Kossum is undefeated. We have four fights, though. Chambers is... Uh, that's probably going to go badly for Chambers. Um, at flyweight, Janelle Lausa fights Eric Shelton. And at heavyweight, Rashad Coulter fights Ty Tuivasa? Tuivasa? I'll go with Tuivasa. Um, Tuivasa last defeated James McSweeney, for whatever that's worth. It's not worth much. James McSweeney isn't good. 
October of last year. Yeah. Okay, this this is a rough one on paper. I, I hope it's great. I really do. Some of those Australian cards uh, have produced some really good fights. So, All right, Jeff, do you have any burning desires from that card? Anything that uh, sticks out to you that you want to touch on here? Uh, I think Keynes versus Muhammad is a decent fight. And a lot of Theodore I was getting. Sorry, Dan Kelly, I like pretty much this. Yeah, so coming on Saturday, please stop by and say hello. I appreciate it. And we'll, again, hope that my computer is at 100% by at for tomorrow for that event. Um, it should be. If it freaks out on me between now and then, I know people who I will take it to. Uh, all right. Jeff, there was some news that broke, some fights that got made and changed around. Uh, where do you want to start with those? Um, so Frankie Edgar is out of the fight with Max Holloway. Um, that was so bad. And he's been replaced by Jose Aldo, um, who will get his rematch against Holloway, despite getting stomped in the first fight. So, um, so Jose Aldo uh, is no longer fighting uh, Ricardo Lamas. It will now be Max Holloway versus um, uh, Jose Aldo, too. And as you pointed out on Facebook, uh, this we, or this maintains Aldo's record of always having been in a title fight in the U.S. Yeah, it's a really impressive thing because he came in as UFC featherweight champion and then right. you know had had his reign, very impressive reign, lost the oh. belt, fought for the interim belt because Conor McGregor was then promo- had the interim title promoted to full title because Conor McGregor lost the title and is now getting a rematch for said title. It's it's weird. I'm bummed that we lost is Edgar versus Holloway. Is this unprecedented, Robert? He is the only person that that has happened to, to the best of my knowledge. Wow. I, mean, I know Aldo's personality rubs people the wrong way, but uh, again, that's certainly something. I mean... Again, I am bummed that we lost uh, Edgar for that fight. I really wanted to see that. I was, I would probably prefer Swanson, uh, all things considered, not because I think Swanson is inherently more deserving, but or has a better chance at beating Max Holloway. But I just think that uh, you know the architecture needs to be respected wherever possible. Of course. Swanson's current contract situation further complicates matters, but the fight game is more than fighting, and timing does play in. So again, th- this stuff happens, and I'm not. If, if Edgar wants a snowball's chance in hell, he better be praying Holloway wins. If for him to hopefully get a, still get a title shot in the future. Yeah, he. I don't know. It's weird because yeah. He needs Holloway to win in order to get that shot, but I also think Max Holloway will finish him if they fight, so um, it's a rough spot. We'll see if Aldo learns anything from the first fight, but I'm still leaning toward Holloway here. Yeah, um, 
I'm the same. I mean, Aldo is still is still an exceptional fighter, but man, I, I can't pick against Max Holloway against. He's not a risk taker. He's not a risk taker. Um, he's not. He's not that dangerous. Um, he he didn't even use the leg kicks against Holloway. You know, there were reasons. There were specific reasons for that. Yeah, yeah, that might and that could change this time. Good, but Aldo has never been as dangerous as he used to be, and I don't think I'm wrong by saying that. He's also fighting a much higher level of competition now. So and again, there's there's reasons yeah. for all that, and Max Holloway has a tremendous chin. Um, rewatch, I rewatched the first fight between those two because I deeply enjoyed it and am looking forward to the rematch, even though it's less than ideal circumstances. Aldo landed on Holloway in that first round pretty cleanly more than once, and Max Holloway just kind I of ate Aldo it. Probably Aldo probably won the first round, I think. He did. Uh, I think by any reasonable measurement, he did. I would agree. I would agree. I would agree with that. And again, it was a really good fight, and I do. I'm not going to complain about that rematch one bit. Again, I wish the circumstances were different, but I definitely look forward to Aldo seeing those two square up again. Man. And, you know, there, there are few fighters who have improved and made as great a stride as him since when he started uh, from the UFC to where he is now, um, and just continues to get better. I can't think of many. I can't think of too many fighters who have had a meteor, meteoric rise just developed from such a young age into a champion. You know, it's rare. To, it's rare to see that. You kind of almost saw a little bit with Baldo earlier in his career, but I feel. I don't know. We'll see. This will be a. I mean, look. This will be always first title defense. So he's getting Alvo is getting his rematch. Uh, and we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, also, in a couple of weeks, we do have the UFC's debut on mainland China, and we lost Anderson Silva versus uh, Kelvin Gastelum. Because we have another Anderson Silva, Silva potentially failed drug test. Drug test failure. And, uh, yeah, they announced the uh, the <laughs> the replacement. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, um he received a thirty minute suspension after UFC two seventeen. Absolute and they can be waived from a doctor's clearance, but I I can't I'm never a fan of guys fighting inside of medical suspensions. I'm just not. Like, it. I don't know why that's one of my lines in the sand when it comes to the sport. Fight where he was, if if he cut, he was he got messed up in that fight. He got beat up in that fight, and this fight's going to be just three weeks later. Yeah, I mean. I don't. This is one. If he had just like been how, submitted, like, the UFC, to me, the UFC can't claim like some sort of responsibility towards fighter safety with the Mark Hunt situation, and then turn around and book this fight. Yeah, 
Yeah. And no, I mean, I'm we, we, we can't I'm have Mark Hunt fight, but hey, Michael Bisping only got dropped and elbowed in the face ten times before even, being choked you know what out. Else? I'm not even going to watch this fight. Because I, I just can't approve of this fight happening. And you know what? I know Michael Bisping, I mean, the guy from Lunatic, he, he's tough. Um, and you know, as arguably stupid a, a sport as fighting may be, as far as a career choice, I mean, I just don't know how you can defend this match. Nothing makes sense about this. Um, I know, look, this fight is happening in China. It's not a very first point. No one to speak of, but even clear credibility of being this fight. And to me, this is even beyond, like, Silva stepping in on, like, two days' notice for, like, This is a whole, I mean, this guy just fought. He fought this month, and he's fighting again in the same month um, for his medical, his recommended medical suspension. It makes me look, I, I can't have to with this. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. Um, also, it does bear noting, Kelvin Gastelum likes to throw a lot of punches, and uh, I I get why Bisbing is wanting to get back on the horse, and he's one of the few people in a position, because, this again, three weeks out to get, you know, uh, the ability to fly and then fight in China can be kind of a nightmare. There's a process. Here's what I want to know, Robert. If this thing was legitimately cleared to, for this fight, was the doctor who cleared Hank? Was his last name here? I would be really leery of any doctor that would clear Bisbing for this fight. Was his first name Nick? <laughs> Uh, I can't confirm that. He may have legally changed his name, but I know he still enters rooms by going, hi, everybody. I can only believe... Dr. Nick, on retainer by the UFC. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, I just don't, don't get this. I, I mean, you mean to tell me there's no one else they have on the roster who, who, could, who could come in... Um, in a couple weeks, and probably make weight, who would be up for a fight with Gaston? I'm not and privy to all the pass. details. It's a fight I'm... pass card. Who even rates fight pass? All right? You mean they didn't have anyone else who would have been willing to fight Gaston? I honestly, again, I imagine there's a logistical component because travel and performance for pay in China can be a pain in the butt. I know that. I, uh, yeah, uh, the part, he got, he got messed up. I, I don't like it. I, I, I genuinely do not like it, but... This fight should not yes. be allowed to happen. It should not be I wouldn't. I would not sanction this fight under these circumstances, personally. Uh, I don't but, like it at all. Yeah, again, I don't either. I won't, I refuse to watch this fight. 
I do not blame you one bit. I boycott UFC, but I just won't watch this fight. I don't blame you. I wouldn't watch it if I wasn't going to be covering it, in all honesty. But I understand. For... I understand. Uh, all right. Do we want to talk about the Conor McGregor thing? We touched on it a little we bit should. last week. We should. Some all right. For those of you, we should. for those of you who don't, who may not have known about what happened, there was an MMA event in Ireland, I believe, last week. And it featured a uh, – there's an Irish fighter there. I forget his, I forget this gentleman's name, so my apologies. Um, pretty good guy. You know, he's fighting in Bellator, so he's you know clearly just making his way up in the world. But this guy's a friend of Conor McGregor's. Now, that's not inherently a bad thing, but it does play a little bit into what happened. At the end of the first round, uh, this Irish fighter drops his opponent and is throwing some punches. It's not immediately clear whether or not the referee, in this case Mark Goddard, actually stops the fight or just signals the end of the round. That Again, that is not made clear. And in fact, the commission, when talking about the incident, clearly references the fact that this that the bout had not concluded. So... A lot of the fans thought he had won the fight via late stoppage in the first round. It's an understandable thing to assume. But the referee hadn't actually signaled that. Conor McGregor, who was in attendance, not as a corner man, just as a spectator, upon seeing what he believes to be the finish, proceeds to jump the cage, get in there, and hug his friend. Mark Goddard, seeing a spec- – I mean, he knows who Conor McGregor is, obviously, but let me preface my opinion about this match with the following – about what happened, excuse me, not the match – with the following. If the fact that this is Conor McGregor and not random, drunken frat boy colors your opinion of the following course of events – you need to take a serious look at how heavily you're invested in the existence of Conor McGregor. Because I don't care that this was McGregor. That really doesn't factor into my position on this one bit. The referee sees a spectator, not a corner man, not a commission official, just a guy from the crowd who has jumped the cage... And he proceeds to attempt to forcibly remove McGregor from the cage. McGregor takes serious umbrage with this, shoves the referee, gets into it verbally with him and with several commission officials. He actually slapped uh, one of the one of the commissioners when trying to get into the cage. It was a Bellator staff member. Okay. That is. And that is, by very definition, assault. It yes. Is not, it is not wrong to call that. No, it's assault. It just, that is people, the definition of assault. People have been sued and arrested for less. Significantly less in some cases. Now, look. Let me be clear about something. I I am not I am neither a fan nor ardent detractor of Conor McGregor's. 
All right. I think at some time, I think at times he has been subject to unfair criticism. And I have defended him when I believe that to be the case. I think he has made some moves in his career that are, do not line up with my interests as a fan. And I have stated as such. What really worries me about all this. That he's on cocaine. Eh, I don't care. Like, I don't sure like, it, like but... it, but. Sure, actually. Like I think it. McGregor's just high on life, man. I on a few what, other things by his behavior. What really shocked me is, and I came up with this distinction a while ago because I got sick and tired of painting everyone with the same brush when it came to Conor McGregor's fans. Because I know several fans of Conor McGregor's who are rational, intelligent people with whom I can have conversations, with well, whom I can I'm have disagreements. I'm a fan of McGregor, you know? I mean, yeah, that's fair. I think he's beautiful. I like McGregor. I like what he's done for the sport. But, you know, I can't call this behavior anything except thug-like. He acted like a thug. This is what thugs do. They do garbage like this. And they think they're above, and they think they're above reproach. They think they're above reprimand. It's ridiculous. Yeah, again, there's a specific reason I coined, I don't know if I coined it necessarily, but to the best of my knowledge, I did. I refer to the subset of Conor McGregor's fans that defend him, no matter what, to the death over the dumbest things, even when he is clearly in the wrong, as the cult of Conor. Because I, I had to distinguish between people who are just fans of his and people who are fanatical. I know I mean, can, you really call, can you really call all of Ireland a cult, though? It's like a country, you know? More than a cult. I, I don't think all of Ireland are necessarily members of the cult of Connor. Come on. Come on. I, I don't. I think there is a significant amount of nationalism that plays into that. But I do not believe that the totality of Ireland essentially thinks that Connor McGregor's fecal matter doesn't stink. Well, Connor certainly does. Um, yes, he does. And the number of people whose response to this incident was, how dare the referee put his hands on McGregor, was staggering to me. People I know in my friends' network were, were saying that when I posted the video from Bellator. And that was not... Saying- that was not unique to you and your and you know, your network. That was that's and not unique. Say, and here's what I say to that, Robert. Yes, Goddard did he did push McGregor. I mean, it wasn't a shove; it was a push. In that instance, what happened there? Goddard was doing his job. His job is to secure the cage and see to the health and safety of the the men inside the cage. Connor was not licensed. He had no right. He had no legal right or recourse to be there or be anywhere near there. He, he's been warned about this before. This is not his first run with Mark Goddard. Mark Goddard warned him when he was doing that kind of uh, cage-side coaching with Artem Lobov for um, his fight with Andre Feely. Yep. And um, um, 
Goddard warned McGregor when he was getting too close because he is to be that close to the cage and to be coaching, you know, your teammate, you have to be a licensed cornerman to do that. In neither instance was McGregor a licensed cornerman. And just because you're Conor McGregor, that doesn't give you a right to run up there into the cage and act like a lunatic. Now, yes, people who aren't licensed and family members and, and other people, they go into the cage and they will hug or greet a fighter. But that is only after the fighters have been seen to by the referee, the doc who are legally allowed to be there. McGregor never was. Ever. And there is no there is no excuse. There is no side of this. There is absolutely none where the fault of this whole situation lies with anyone else but Conor McGregor. There is no universe, there is no parallel dimension. There is nowhere in existence where the fault is with anyone except Conor McGregor. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a... (sighs) Guys, I understand that we live in a world that is, in my opinion, overly politically correct. We are at the far end of the swinging of that particular pendulum. And it will come back and settle into a degree of normalcy, such as the nature of pendulums. That's why I use the analogy. This isn't about political correctness or... No, 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 hang on. Let me, if I may, let me finish. Yeah, okay. And there's a degree of, and McGregor has been subject to criticism pertaining to things that are perceived as insensitive and not politically correct. So I understand that a lot of these, a lot of his fans and a lot of his cultists might have their backup about that. And it's why part of the arguments you see in favor of McGregor are, you know, there was a time when pushing was considered instigating and after that it was like we are now hearkening back to the good old days this is terribly dangerous thinking terribly and I understand some of the impetus and I do think McGregor got more crap than was deserved for things that were said in the lead up to his fight with Floyd Mayweather and I think a lot of people may have reacted. He made a lot of money off of that. He I did. Mean, that, I mean, that, that's the whole point. He was doing all. He was, you know, he was doing all that. No, and I also think he got a little bit. Uh, let me re- let me rephrase. The nature of the response to the video of what he was talking about with of what, of what he said to Artem Lobov after that fight. Correct might have been slightly disproportionate when you consider the totality of circumstance surrounding what happened. I would agree with that. You know what? Other but athletes have put up with similar have put up with similar instances. Kobe Bryant had to deal with that. Um, yeah. and he had to pay a lot of he had to pay a huge fine when, when he was caught doing that. Um, yeah. and and again, I'm I'm not defending McGregor in the sense that how dare, how dare anyone claim he couldn't say that? I'm simply saying that there's... I understand some of how the logic, flaw, deeply flawed as it is, has come into play. None of that should apply here, because if we're going to apply a logic test to this, and I frequently would encourage you all to do so, 
take the name of Conor McGregor out of this story and replace it with the generic, I'll even go gender neutral, a spectator. A spectator jumps into the cage following the conclusion of a round before the fight is officially concluded, and you're okay with this, there's a problem. Like, there's a reason we have the rules in place that we do. They exist for, a, again, for a variety of reasons. Chief among them is fighter safety. You don't want anyone else in that cage, especially before a fight is concluded. I don't care that it's Conor McGregor. Nobody should do that. And, and especially a fighter should know better. If you're defending him, I, I, this is indefensible. There is absolutely no justification, no good, no, there is, there is none. Like, I'm not even going to further qualify that. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have done that. Straight up. If you're defending it, you need to seriously examine the zealousness of your attachment to this man. Because it might be bordering on unhealthy. It's affecting your judgment in real time. I, again, I've defended Connor when I felt it was necessary. I'm equally going to call him out when I believe it's necessary. He's 100% in the wrong. And if you're, and again, there is no justification for he, this. He needs to be taken down. He needs to be taken down a peg because you know what? He is a superstar undeniably a superstar, but that doesn't mean you get to break the rules. It doesn't mean you get to slap people uh, willy-nilly because you, cause, you know, you think, because you're Conor McGregor. Um, he, he needs to pay for this. And, and look, I'm not saying he needs to be suspended for a year or two years, but there does need to be some sort of punishment here. And if it's a six-figure fine, I'm totally okay with that. And if he wants to stop his feet and fight it, then, then let him fight it. Um, and if he says, and if it means he, if he threatens to never fight again from a, from a huge fine, then so be it. Because you cannot, you cannot excuse this behavior on any level. And yeah. I know the UFC wants Conor McGregor to fight again for them soon. And they are not going to fire him because of this. And I can accept that. I can totally accept that and deal with that. Yeah. But there needs to be a punishment here. And I believe the best type of punishment to Connor would be his pocketbook. And that means he needs to face a severe, he needs to face a severe fine. Because you know what? If you suspend him, he'll be like, oh, I'll just go on vacation. I mean... If you fire him, he'll probably be, I'll just promote fights myself. I'll sign a big contract with ABC or someone or, or ESPN or Showtime or HBO, and I'll just promote my own fights. And he could probably make some good money off of that, I imagine. He could. Probably he, could. Do a boxing, he could probably do a, a couple more boxing fights, and I'm sure boxing promoters would love it. They would love oh, yeah. to make, They would love for there are probably some low-level boxers that would love to make their names off of Conor McGregor. And make oh, yeah. Definitely. Okay? 
I think the most realistic punishment is to give him a, a huge fine. And he has to eat it no matter what. And he should also be forced to apologize pub, uh, publicly. He should hold a press conference, and he should apologize. And the agreed parties should be in the audience, and they should be allowed to determine if that was a suitable apology or not. If they don't believe it's sincere, they should make him do it again. And I think that is more than reasonable. More than reasonable. More than generous. Yeah, I... Again, like this... Uh, yeah, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just leave it at that. I don't disagree with you pretty much at all as far as that goes. All right, was there anything else we wanted to touch on before we get into plugs? Let me see. I mean, I think those were the main things because we had those big fight changes. We had McGregor. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Alrighty. Let's go ahead and get into plugs then. Jeff, I know you've seen some movies. You have some reviews up. What do you got to plug? All right. So, Thor Ragnarok, number one at the box office again this weekend. Review of that. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, decent film. Um, I would say, you know, maybe you don't have to see in the theaters, but I think it's worth watching at some point. It's certainly not superior to the Sidney Lumet uh, 1974 version, but it was a decent film. A good, it was a good old-fashioned cinematic murder mystery, and I liked it on that level. This week I'll be doing Justice League, and I will be doing Coco after that. And um, I also took part in the um, Thursday conference call with uh, George St. Pierre after UFC 217, so take a look at that in the MMA zone. And, yeah. There we go. All righty, Jeff. I will see you next week. Thank you very much for being here as always. All right. As for me, you can listen to Mark Radlich and I, actually Mark Radlich, Pat Mullen and I, uh, for those of you who miss Pat on the show, he mentioned last week he wasn't going to be able to make this one, but he should be back next week. You can listen to the three of us talk about Thor Ragnarok and listen to me have a mental breakdown over the state of critical analysis in film in the world because it's depressing as hell. Um, So, yeah, feel free to listen to that, get our thoughts on the movie, whether we liked it, whether we didn't, what was good, what was bad. And then, again, the critics because, boy, the critics. Uh, There is no Damn You Hollywood this Tuesday. Uh, We will be back next Tuesday for Justice League, so look forward to that. I'm not, but I'm not looking forward to the movie, so such is life. This coming again Saturday, I will have live coverage of UFC Fight Night 121 from, and they're in Sydney, again. So stop by, I'll be in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, say hello, I appreciate it. For I like you guys, so thank you very much for, again, keeping me entertained whenever possible, and hopefully my, again, all the technical issues on my end will be worked out. I still can't vouch for Comcast or apparently Fox Sports. Uh, We'll be back next week again to review Fight Night 121. We will preview Fight Night 122, Bisbing versus Gastelum, which, again, I find ethically questionable. Uh, The rest of that card is, is rough. Um, yeah, again, the, the next best fight on that card is probably Zabit Magomed Sharipov and, uh, Shaman Morris, Morais, Shaman Morais. I don't know. 
I'll go with one of those until I hear it pronounced. But uh, Magomed Sharipov really kind of won me over with his debut against Mike Santiago. And uh, I caught a, I've since looked up a few of his fights from ACB. And, yeah, he's – I'm I'm pretty high on him. So, again, the rest of that card, though. I'm struggling to find anything of real note. So we will keep an eye on that. Tune in for a more complete breakdown of that event next week. Uh, Again, Pat should be back next week. Jeff will be here unless something comes up between now and then, as always. And I'll be here, barring the unforeseen, of course. Uh, Until then, thank you all so very much for listening, for sharing us with your friends. If they happen to be fans of the sport, point them in my direction. I appreciate that. Still growing this thing. Still trying to grow this thing, guys. So your continued support is, it means the world. Thank you all. Uh, Until next time, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.